Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey Sinners, you're listening to Sinful Cuts, the podcast that takes a look at the wild, weird, and wonderful world of horror. We take a deep dive into some of your favorite movies, possibly uncover some hidden gems, sometimes we even get some stinkers. Thank you so much for joining us, we truly love having you here. Please sit back, take a listen, and let's get our scare on. <laughs> sinners i'm shannon and i'm sean and this is sinful cuts <laughs> and today we are so happy to have the incredible man himself john langan who is the author of uh the collections mr gaunt and other uneasy encounters the wide carnivorous sky and other monstrous geographies by the way john you're 10 out of 10 for titles they're my favorite Sephira and other betrayals, Children of the Fang actually might be my favorite, and other genealogies, Corpse Mouth, and other autobiographies. And he is the author of the novel novels House of Windows and the award-winning The Fisherman, which is possibly my it's certainly my favorite novel of when I read it in 2021, and it is a, certainly a top three to date. That novel is it's it's nothing short of incredible. So what John likes to do is he he likes to rack up accolades. He was a finalist for the International Horror Guild Award uh, in 2008. He was a Bram Stoker Award nominee for Best Collection, and in 2016 he was a Bram Stoker Award winner for The Fisherman itself. So John, thank you so much for being here today. 
Thank you yes, so thank much you. for having me. Wow, that is a that is a mouthful. Jeez, I feel like it like it should it should be like a drinking game. Every time you hear a subtitle, take another drink. Except we would all be drunk by now. <laughs> we're and we're fine with that. We're absolutely well, yeah. fine with that. Every- oh, okay, okay, good, good. Well, listen, we're going to talk about vampire movies, so I guess drinking is appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> everybody, get your bloody marys. So. Uh, you know, there, uh, let's not spoil the surprise. The movies that we're talking about today, we've got 1985's Fright Night, and then we have 1987's Lost Boys. Uh, as far as horror, mo- uh, sorry, vampire movies go, uh, they're certainly some of the the most fun vampire movies. I think they are easily some of the best horror movies of the 80s. I mean, if you were to, to do a top 10, it would certainly be uh, pretty high up there as far as what the 80s had to offer. I really do enjoy these films. But John, I have to ask you, because the way we do the podcast for our guests is we basically send out a list of 25 movies, and then you have a crack at which one you want to talk about. So what made you choose Fright Night and the Lost Boys? Um, I'm greedy and it gave me the chance to talk about two movies at once. And I, I love both of these movies. And so it seemed like the perfect combination, you know, they're, they're both sort of mid to late eighties, uh, looks at the vampire and they, they mix the traditional and the non-traditional and, um, Fright Night in particular gets kind of meta with with everything that it's doing. So uh, and, and I've always I'm a sucker for vampires. I I, yeah. um, I love I love all the monsters, but I find myself coming back to vampires, even in my own fiction, that they tend to, to have the monsters I've written about. They, excuse me. They seem to be the monsters that that uh, are are ahead uh, in the in the race or, or something like that. They seem like they're so fun to write. Um, you know, the thing about vampires is, is that like, I can remember when I was a kid, right. In, in uh, elementary school, discovering vampires and, uh, and all the monsters, right. Because that, that's what happens when you're in, in grade school is that somebody tells you about this. Somebody, either somebody's irresponsible parents have let them watch a movie they shouldn't have been able to watch or an older sibling most likely has, has let them know, uh, has, has, has let them in on the secret. And so vampires kind of fascinated me because um, there were lots of rules that you could use to to deal with them so that was kind of cool and they were they were sort of weird in a way but I was I was raised in a very devout Roman Catholic household so Same. Catholicism is is all about these kinds of rules and regulations that make sense within the context of the religion and the confines of the religion but from the outside people are like what and so yeah. vampires are are I, I think like that analogous to that all these kinds of weird rules but they make sense within the within the context confines of of the vampire mythos and then of course having that mythos and and which of course oh, what i'm thinking is is that on the one hand the mythos is is as i'm describing it, is actually very recent right it's a product of stoker and dracula and one of the first things i, I used to um, get all these books uh, when i was a kid you could order them through the scholastic book fair and they were like you know the history of monsters or whatever right and so what they would do is they would say well there was stoker but there was also sheridan le fanu's camilla and there was this and there was that 
that, and there's this tradition and that tradition. So it's it's interesting. It's as if it's as if with um, with Dracula, with Stoker's Dracula, all of the vampire tradition they kind of bottleneck into that into that one text, and and then spread outwards again. And you can tap into the the kind of main stream of it, if you will. You can sort of go right back to Dracula and look at what Stoker was saying, and and you can draw on that. But you can go back either further than that, if if you'd like, to the traditions that Stoker was drawing on, or you can um, you can look at sort of the the extreme edges of of what's come out from Dracula and do something with that. So, uh, I think there's that. I think it's it's also what's fascinating about the the vampire is its intelligence. Uh, yeah. the, um, this was long before I, I should add, I had read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So to me, Frankenstein's monster was this kind of like brute, the, this like hulking thing that was just, you know, full of anger and was sort of terrifying. And, and part of what made it terrifying was you couldn't have a conversation with it any more than you could the wolf man or, or the mummy, uh, or the yeah. gill man, you know, that the, the vampire was the only thing that you might... You might have a relationship with, as it as it were, however short lived that relationship might be. Ah, and we have some examples. You bring up a great point because we definitely have have examples in cinema of victims negotiating with the vampire and buying themselves some time, or even you know becoming basically their Renfield, you know, yeah. becoming their their uh, their um, apostle. We just had Andy Davidson on, and he was discussing Near Dark. And, oh yeah, uh, you yeah, know, he, yeah. He was he was saying, you know, that he he loves the vampire, and he felt like he owed the vampire, you know, due service because of his uh, novel In the Valley of the Sun. But yeah, I yeah, posed this question book. to him. All right, so yeah, I mean that book is so good. But I have to ask you the same question: Do you skew your uh, your vampire? Do you skew more towards like the Nosferatu and the the um? you know, the true undead and there's really no, nothing sexy about it, or you do skew more toward the seductive vampire. You know, I, I kind of, um, I kind of swerve back and forth depending on the needs of the story. So I, I think that, um, you know, when you look at the way that vampires, um, are, are presented and they, they show up on stage in the 19th century, they're often presented as um, they're, they're almost like ethereal. Um, they're sinister. They'll drain your blood, but they're um, they're the opposite of the way we think of vampires. We think of vampires, especially post Buffy, right? Every vampire knows Kung Fu, right? Yeah. And they, and, and even Dracula, even in Dracula. Sometimes literally. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And they hop too, right? The Chinese hopping vampires. Um, I've gained the ability to hop, but at a terrible price. I must drink human blood. Um but <laughs> was it worth it? Um, the Faustian bargain. It was. I, um, so, so, and, and in some cases, those vampires can only be defeated um, when you shine moonlight on them. You shine the light of the full moon on them, and they just, they just, as in, in, in a way, it's the, it's the reverse. Of what happens at the end of Nosferatu when, when the sunlight just makes him melt away? So. Hmm. There's there's a way in which uh, and and Dracula certainly I mean I'm I'm on board with um, 
I think of Stephen King as the one who makes the case. I'm sure other people did before him, but in Dance Macabre, you know, he makes the case for for Dracula as just like sex embodied, you know, and and specifically yeah. a kind of oral sexuality. Um, and I, I think that that's I think that's true. But 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 Dracula's sexuality is very animal and very aggressive, you know. Uh, underneath it all, there's the you know drink from me sort of thing, uh, you know, slashing open his chest yeah. so that that Mina can drink from him. Um, so I, I think that those vampires. Um, I, I, and, and here's the thing, I think in a way, the sexy vampire makes a bit more sense from a narrative standpoint, you know, the, the vampire, um, oh. <laughs> so, so John, I'm sorry, we, we, we bounced out there, but you were talking about the seductive vampire. I'm going to tell you an embarrassing story. I think it's embarrassing for me. <laughs> um, so I, I, I lived, I live in New York and, um, you know, I, I, was lucky enough that my parents would take us to Broadway shows. So during the seventies, when I was, when I was a young kid, we would go in and we'd see shows. And I remember we saw Dracula with Frank Langella mm. and this is before yeah, yeah, he did yeah. the Madam film in 79. But we went with a bunch of my parents, friends, and they, they, they took all the kids cause he's Dracula. But I remember, I remember on the train ride in, my mom was sitting with her, her friends and they're talking about Frank Langella and how sexy he is. And I'm a little kid and I'm like, should I be hearing this? Does that right. know? <laughs> you know? But they were. I mean, he he I love the 79 uh Batam film. He's a little bit disco Dracula because the hair is just like it's it's you know hairsprayed and, and blown out to infinity. But he is incredibly sexy and in what he did on Broadway. I mean, he really captured a moment there where it was just all, you know, Franklin Jella is gonna you know, your toes are going to curl up with his portrayal of Dracula. You know, he, he really nailed it. <laughs> yeah. No and then you go into the, you, you discover your dad has a cape and you're like, dad, what is this? Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I think that um, I, I guess what, what I was thinking about before is that the sexy vampire makes sense to me in, in a sense as as the kind of vampire that might survive in human society the yeah. the the kind of brute animal vampire uh which has certainly you know gained ascendancy i think of um 30 days of night as maybe the the most dramatic example of that where these things are not sexy in the slightest they are just there for for um for murder they they are just there predators. yeah yeah, yeah, we are prey animals, and and that little town in Alaska is it's it's the feeding lot for for them. Um, I think that they, in in a way, it's harder to imagine how they survive, uh, in in especially as as human society grows and grows and grows, and even actually, I mean, honestly, even when it didn't grow, they still need us. They still need human society to survive, right? Sure. Yeah. So it's it's hard for me to imagine how a pack of vampires makes its way through, you know, even the urban jungle of New York City or something like that, um, and and doesn't get uh, noticed by uh, by the cops, say, you know, and 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 uh, uh, and dealt with. So I I I think that the um, 
I think that the sexy vampire makes more makes more sense to me, and I I um, and I also think that the again with the sexy vampire, there's a chance for the vampire to emerge as a character, uh, maybe not a fully human character, but a character. The the kind of animal vampire, um, I'm not sure. I, I feel that the the characterological dimensions of that vampire uh, are are more limited, which isn't to say you couldn't do because like I'm saying this, I'm thinking yeah, but what could you do? And oh, you could do this. So it's it's possible certainly to do to do stuff with that, but um, yeah, I, I prefer the vampire that that um, in a sense wants to corrupt you, uh, that yeah. that wants you to be uh, to 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 take a ride on the mystery train into the dark. That leads us perfectly into Fright Night because that really embodies Jerry Dandridge. I mean, he's 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 got almost the perfect disguise as just this affable, sexy next door neighbor. And if it wasn't for friggin' Charlie peeping out the window, you know, watching the coffin go into the basement, he'd uh, you know he he might have half a shot. And I mean, until the bodies are stacked up like cordwood, you know, every um every news broadcast in the movie is basically another headless corpse found. You know, right, right. Strange <laughs> murders continue, right. Police baffled. Body, <laughs> bodies drained of blood. No one can figure out what's going on. Yeah. So let's let's start with Friday night. Let's get into Friday night. And we can look. We're going to do Friday night. And we're going to do the Lost Boys. We can bounce back and forth between the two. But let's start with, with Friday night because it was released first in 85. So we've got – just to do the hard yards, we've got – it's directed by Tom Holland who would then do Child's Play in 88 with Chris Sarandon as well. Uh, he directed Thinner. Uh, you know, he's – he wrote Psycho 2, which I'm a big fan of. I don't know how you feel about Psycho 2, but I really do like that one. He wrote The Class of 84, 1984, Cloak and Dagger, which was big for me as a kid. I love that movie. And The Beast Within, which is – I don't I don't know if I'm going to go out on a limb and call it a good movie, but it's and certainly Sean, entertaining. And Sean, don't forget about Tales from the Crypt. Oh, shoot. Oh, yeah. And then Tales from the Crypt as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Good save there, Shannon. So uh, <laughs> we've got a, it's produced by Herb Jaffe. We've got uh, 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 Jan uh, Kaiser uh, is the DP. Music by Brad Fidel, uh, and then the FX by Randall William Cook. I think you know. I, I definitely want to give out uh, give a shout out to the FX. I thought they were they were really solid. Um, and very playful and inventive, but yeah, those are the people that put this all together. Uh, and, and I think what we have is a real new interpretation of the vampire movie in 85, because previously, I mean, we're still kind of drafting off the fumes of the late, uh, sorry, early seventies hammer movies, which really, which I love dearly, but petered out, you know, Dracula AD scars of Dracula. They're not, you know, they're, they're not the most shining examples. Then you had films like Martin, you know, which which were great, but we didn't have anything that really connected with audiences. But this movie did. I mean, I remember the summer of 85. If you were a kid and you hadn't seen this movie, it's like, what the hell are you doing? You know, <laughs> get on it. <laughs> You're Unless you saw Fright Night. Have I, have I exposed that I was a lonely child? <laughs> <laughs> but you had the comfort of your monsters. I did. And your dad's, your dad's cape that you could watch those movies in. John, you're really bringing me to a dark place here, okay? <laughs> yeah, John, I think that, um, you know, in the, in the 
one of the things that fascinates me about, you know, sort of like vampire cinema, right, is is that you you see in the 80s into the 90s, you see these films um, like Fright Night, The Lost Boys, uh, Near Dark, uh, which is impossible to find streaming. I, I thought to myself, I want to watch Near Dark like as this kind of um, just as, as as like sort of an unofficial trilogy, you know, with, with these other two movies. And it is not available any place. It's on the um, Criterion Collection, but you have to join it. <laughs> You know? uh, okay. All right. All right. Um, but then you also have, um, and 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 you you have Martin as as a kind of early forerunner of this kind of stuff. But yeah. but I agree that Martin is so much its own thing. It's a brilliant, brilliant film, and it might be my favorite of Romero's films. I'm not I'm not sure. Right. It's hard to beat Night of the Living Dead, but Martin is okay. so revolutionary. But I I almost wonder with Martin, um, unlike Night of the Living Dead, I I, I wonder if if what Romero was doing there was just so out of the mainstream, so far ahead of its time or to the side of its time or whatever that, you know, we're still trying to catch up to it. But yeah. you have these other movies like um, uh, The Habit, uh, well, Larry Fessenden's Habit, Fessenden's which is, is, sure. is, is uh, 90s, maybe late night, early 2000s. Um, you've got uh, um, The Addiction uh you've got uh is it nadia i i think um so you've got these kind of like uh, and of course the hunger is as well i suppose that oh, would be boy. another one that you could uh you could slot in uh yeah. slot in here that the, that the hunger i think takes the the sexy vampire thing um and just amps that right up you know it just gives you, you all these beautiful uh yeah 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 um and and i think that uh um so, but 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 I guess what's interesting to me there, right, is that you're right. Like they're moving past Dracula. They're like, okay, 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 yeah, we have a ton of Dracula films, and of course Coppola will will do his Bram Stoker's Dracula, you know, which is a lovely a lovely film, and I think probably fits into all of this in some way as well. Yeah. Although the thing with Coppola, right, is his Dracula goes from just being sexy vampire to romantic hero, you know, doomed, damned romantic hero. Oh God, you took my girlfriend away, so I'm going to be a vampire. Um, and uh, which which I think works in the film, but which is not not Stoker's Dracula. You know, that's 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 uh, uh, Coppola's uh, Dracula. So I, I think that um, with with Fright Night and the thing about Fright Night, which I'd forgotten until I watched it this time is, man, it is awfully wobbly for about the first 10 minutes. You know, like there's it's almost slapstick. You know, there's there's yeah. uh, Charlie. Mom, I thought I saw a vampire. You know, oh, Charlie, you know, there could be a laugh track and you're just waiting for the Fonz to show up. You know, hey, yeah. what's up? You know, Fonzie, there's a vampire next door. Don't worry about it. The Fonz will deal with it, you know. Um hey. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so yeah, there is absolutely a bit of that. The boy, who, but then maybe ten minutes, maybe fifteen minutes, in, it finds its footing and it just barrels ahead. It, it is goes. a powerhouse of a of a movie. It it, uh, um, and I, I think part of the problem that the film has right is is just that that kind of entry point. How do you how do you get into a universe in which there are vampires in which and and what what Holland wants to do right is to have this this kid who watches too many horror movies right um, see a vampire. So is it even real? So there's some of the boy who cried wolf. There's some of Rear Window. Um, 
and uh um and and i think that that all of that just it's it's like you know you should when you're riding the bicycle or the bicycle's kind of wobbling a little bit side to side and then you just find your footing and you start to move and then i, I think especially once uh roddy mcdowell shows up in the movie um which it, isn't it it's like 35 up. minutes in yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and the thing think, is yeah. that you know i, I doubt I doubt Roddy McDowell got a lot of money for this movie, um, but he does not phone it in. He he plays this part with utter seriousness and 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 utter conviction and a certain amount of pathos. And I I think um, I don't know if that makes everybody else up their game because they're like, oh, Roddy McDowell, look at what he's not phoning it in. But um, but all of them really they really bring it they uh, in in a really interesting kind of way. Um, and yeah, he's, um, he's a great, Chris Sarandon is a great sexy vampire. Um, and there's the suggestion that, oh, um, I can't remember the name of the, the female protagonist, uh, I mean, I mean, girl years. Yeah. uh, playing, yeah, um, Amy, uh, uh, was Amy, 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 Peter. Amy, right. But, but that, but that Amy is in some way she reminds him of his lost love or something like yeah. that, you know, but it doesn't, which of course Coppola would just run with, but he doesn't make sure. too big a deal out of that. He's just like, huh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, I, it, it, uh, it takes the whole, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I actually uh, saw, uh, uh, I saw an interview uh, or a panel rather uh, of Chris Sarandon talking about this movie. And he mentions um, that one of the reasons why he thinks um, that it, it really works is Holland did give them, um, you know, because at first, of course, he heard uh, it's a vampire film and Sarandon was a little, you know, Bleh, you know, like, do I, you know, but then he read the script, read the character and, you know, Holland obviously gave them all, you know, a little creative freedom. Uh, and he, he said he really, they eat like, they, there's like uh, human characteristics in him. So like, you know, like he uh, utilizes the part where, you know, he realizes that Charlie saw him and knows what he is. And he has a moment where he goes in his house, um, which was frightening, by the way. <laughs> and, um, you know, he goes to Charlie, like, I'll leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. And Charlie goes, basically, no, you know, and he and he tells he goes, you fool. So it's like it just felt like that alone. Um, I feel like you you get a sense that he's uh, I mean, granted, he's he's very sexy. He's very, uh, very strong, very frightening. Um, but he was a human once, too. So it's like he is also tortured, I think, in a way to live this way. You know, he relies on somebody else to do his dealings by day. I, I'm assuming call the prostitutes over to the house um, and that this is how he has to live. Like it doesn't look very glamorous at all, despite him being uh, a cocky, you know, son of a bitch sometimes when he has to be threatening. But I think that is more like his survival instinct as opposed to just being a, a, a threat. Basically. I think there, there's more to it than that. He, he was, he's literally just trying to survive. Um, so that that I created a more humanistic element in his character as opposed to just making this just a vampire movie. Does that make sense? Could I just put this out there for the two of you? And I'm <laughs> going to be honest, 
through the lens of a 17 year old is how old I was when I initially saw. no, sorry. I was, uh, I was 15 when I initially saw this. And of course I was team Charlie because I'm a dumb 15 year old kid as a man in my fifties. Now rewatching this just yesterday, Charlie's a real Budinsky and I am completely team Jerry Dandridge. This pain in the ass kid really needs to go. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny, right? Because I, I think you're right that it's, it's a pragmatic thing for Jerry. It's like, look, I'm going to, you know, as as most vampires do, right? He's going to feed on the the sort of at the margins of society. A French, sure. Um, so, so, and the, and the cops are going to be like, oh, another dead hooker, whatever. Um, and he's, Which he doesn't want any trouble from, he's, oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and he wants to, I mean, the same thing happens in the Lost Boys too, you know, yeah. but, but anyway, um, but he he doesn't want trouble in this nice he's moved into a nice neighborhood he doesn't want any trouble you know and yeah, and yeah can't we just live and live, let live you know um so yeah he he does he does try to negotiate a bit uh, a bit uh, first before uh, before yeah. ramping things up now well, I grew up in a in in a suburb. I mean, this was filmed on the back lot, but I grew up in a suburb that was very similar to what we see in the film. And I'm going to mm -hmm. tell the two of you right now: in 1985, it you would have flown under the radar better as a vampire than a man living with another man next door in the suburbs. That is right. a flat out. That's a flat out truth. I mean, this this movie has really become an icon of queer cinema, and we definitely have to talk about that. How, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, how Chris Sarandon, I mean, if you whether you would call it bisexuality or even pansexual, I mean, he Chris Jerry Dandridge is just he's he's like he's just out there to it, it, it's just hedonism. You know, it's con it's contained hedonism, you know, but he's a walking embodiment of it, you know, and then you have Charlie, who is the antithesis of that. You know, I mean, the opening scene where he's more dis he's more distracted about what's going on outside the window than he is about his losing his virginity. We think right, so that that may be the one point in the movie, like in a vampire movie, that I was like, no, that's not believable. Yeah, you know, everything else, I'm like melting people, whatever, totally fine. But 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 a boy of that age being like, no, no, I'd like to look at my neighbor rather than yeah, come right? on, come on, Tom, come on. But if you can believe that, you can believe everything else. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was it was. It was when I was doing research for the film, you know, of course, years later, and, and and thankfully, you know, we've progressed as a society where we can talk about these things and no one has to, you know, feel that they, they, they can't be forthcoming. They're asking about, you know, the queer coding of the film and uh, who played Billy. Uh, uh, Jonathan Stark said it, 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 we knew the scenes we were shooting, but it was not talked about on the film set. And at first I was like, come on, Mr. Stark. But it actually, if you're shooting this film in the 80s, you wouldn't have talked about it. You know, it right. wouldn't have yeah. been something that would have been discussed. But, yeah. you know, but I, I, I'm, I think Tom Holland did a service to, you know, vampire mythology and vampire lore, lore and Dracula because there is so much sexuality in those stories. And it does, I mean, it includes all types of sex you know that's what makes the vampire so seductive you know it's just it's just everybody's fair game which which i love about the vampire yeah. you know 
I, I kind of feel like Billy, you know, the thing with Billy is that Billy has been corrupted. Like it's that, that strikes me like there's a lot, I fell down the rabbit hole, you know, of what is Billy? You know, is he another vampire? Yeah. Is, is he a golem he of familiar? some kind? Is he, yeah. Uh, yeah. Familiar is he, he, because when things don't turn out so well for Billy, I mean, he literally goes to pieces. Right. Yeah. And, um, and an amazing, I was like, wow, what an amazing special effects display. Right. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's, so he's clearly, it seems something no longer completely human you know and i i do think of him as a, a sort of like like a familiar something that's been kept alive and then when the spell breaks he just kind of melts right but he has been um he's been corrupted and i i think um i, I think that's the that's also what happens to amy i mean it's the thing about about jerry is jerry almost seems to like like radiate he's like radioactive with sexuality and He's corrupted Billy and he corrupts Amy too. She's, you know, at the, at the end of the movie, she's like, okay, buddy, let's go. Um, Charlie is the, uh, Charlie and, and Peter Vincent are the only ones that, that he doesn't corrupt. Um, Charlie, because uh, even Evil Ed um, gives in. Um, and, and, you know, he, he says to Evil Ed, I know, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be you. And, and there's, there's an interesting kind of seduction there, you know, that, that I'm, I'm the outsider too, and, and I'll give you power. Um, and, uh, so, so I think that the, that there's almost like this sort of sinister, I know he call it sinister empathy exactly, but, but he's definitely like this kind of raging id, just kind of let loose. And, and you don't want to be too near to him because um, like your mom with Frank Langella, you know, like, like it's just, yeah, it's too much. It's too much. going to have to get that damn cape dry cleaned. <laughs> Can I tell you a fun fact about um, Jonathan Stark, about his melting scene? So apparently he, he tells a story where they filmed that scene. He has the, you know, the, the, the goop and stuff all over him. And apparently something, um, the way he tells it anyway, is apparently the pipes on this particular day of, of shooting, like, weren't working properly. So he couldn't take a shower at the studio so he's like i have to drive home like this so he drove home like that and then he realized his gas gauge <laughs> was pretty much on empty so he had to stop and get gas and it was a full serve at least so he didn't have to get out of the car but he just yeah the guy um who had to pump his gas was like <laughs> Yeah, and he didn't no, say no charge be on your way did he say anything was was he like was he like look i was on a movie set he's just like just fill it up and no, imagine, that's just, the more frightening he didn't thing. Say anything he just said just 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 fill it up <laughs> and then he did he saw the guy like run inside and get on the phone he's like i think he's called right. <laughs> imagine if you're the, like the police dispatcher that takes that call you know i mean this is you know now, let me ask the two of you, what do you guys think about Tom Holland's direction with, you know, we and, and John, I'm with you. It starts off a little wonky because it really does almost feel like a sitcom, especially because we're filming on a back lot. Like everything feels a little bit artificial until Jerry comes along and we find our groove. And then it really does get moving, which I absolutely love about the, the film. But Tom Holland's direction, I mean, we have 
I, I feel like he really leans into the hammer aesthetic as the film progresses, because if you were to like, you know, ask, oh, where does Jerry Dandridge live? It'd be like that house right there that's emitting fog off of every <laughs> board, you know? <laughs> Don't you, you do kind of wonder, like, wouldn't like someone from some kind of municipal authority show up? What? This is clearly not up to code. That's a lot of radon. I love it. I love it that he just he's just going for it and and we buy into it. I mean really we really do buy into it. I mean he's got us and he just really starts dialing up the hammer aesthetic because even Amy when she gets turned and then her hair grows long and then she's in that white gown, you know, she's she's a hammer horror vixen by the end of the film, uh which I really really do enjoy. So all those all those um you know, some would call him creaky, but all those gothic elements from the Hammer films, how he just ramps it up at the end. But then you still have Jerry Dandridge as a very, you know, you know, mid 80s sex symbol. It just works so well. Right. I just really love the dynamic of it. Well, I also I think you can view the, those kinds of trappings, right, is is the, through the lens of the, they only come out when Charlie's around, you know, like like when the detective comes That's to when the police uh, detective comes to, to visit. It's just a house with a lot of clutter in it. And yeah. and uh, it's just like, oh, hey, sorry, we're just moving in here, you know, so so that the, we see the house when the when the kids see the house, which, of course, in this kind of movie as well, you know, in, in the in the sort of no one will believe me again, the, the, the boy who cried wolf or the boy who cried vampire. Right. No one will believe me. So so there are times that we see things we see that the, the house covered and, you know, shrouded in, in, in Mr. Fog or whatever. And uh, and we know we know the same way Charlie knows. Holy shit, there's a vampire in there. And, you know, the vampire is so is a creature that is so like fundamentally wrong that it causes like reality to warp around itself to to bend around itself uh, love but that it can it can dial that down when the cops show up and just be like hey i'm just your new neighbor come on with my male companion you know yeah, yeah exactly no what are your thoughts on the third act? So let's just talk about the third act because, I mean, we the third act kind of starts with the club scene, which, uh, okay, maybe it doesn't age great, you know? But that is that is peak 80s, isn't it? How many 80s movies have the sort of the club scene, you know, whether it's, um, you know, Scarface or... or um, Shoot, what's the other? There's a few, a few De Palma movies that have like the club scene as the uh, um, the big right. moment. So we we start there and we get the the corruption of Amy and Evil Ed's already been turned. Um, I I do like I like the scene uh, with Charlie where he does try and recruit uh, Peter Vincent again. Also, I mean it's it's worth noting Peter Vincent, Peter Cushing, Vincent Price. Vincent Price actually was offered the role initially, but his health was in decline, so he had to he had to pass. Uh, which I think would I mean I absolutely adore Roddy McDowell, but in an alternate universe where we get all the movies in our head, that's a movie that I would like to see with Vincent Price. Yeah, me too. I would, I would like that. to see that. Yeah. But I really do like that scene where he's trying to recruit him and, you know, you, you, Roddy McDowell really does sell all the emotions that he has to, that he has to put forth. He really does sell and he sells them really, really well because he comes across as he, he said his inspiration was the cowardly lion, you know, yes. that he is a coward at heart, you know, and, and it, it to be fair, he certainly didn't ask for any of this. I mean, Charlie came out of nowhere. I still want to know how Charlie got the address. That's, that's the one part that, right? that bugs me. 
Right. He just shows up at his door. How do I just go meet my, you know, my hero? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, if it's possible, if Svenguli, if you're listening, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> well, I like I like how, you know, we, we feel like Peter Vincent isn't going to, that he's given up and he's, he is a coward and that's the end of it. And then, yeah. you know, Charlie's brave enough to, look, I've got to get my girlfriend back. And then, the, you know, the hand grabs his shoulder as he's, as he's just about to go in. And then Peter Vincent's there. We have our hero moment. And then there's that, like, there's that whole sequence on the staircase, which is almost like an ode to um to Salem's Lot. Oh, shoot, Salem's Lot, which I should have brought up when we were talking about. Oh, yeah, about, yeah, 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 sure, you know, sure. Because the, the, Toby Hooper, I mean, I just, I adore that. I really do love Salem's Lot. So that's a little, that's a little ode to, to that. But we have all those scenes in that grand staircase. We've got Billy's demise and we have uh, Peter Vincent possibly finding his faith and repelling uh, Jerry Dandridge. Um, and then we have some great special effects with uh with uh jerry turning into the bat and it all kind of you know it wraps up but there's little moments you know spread throughout where jerry is kind of circling the house in his vampire form and they have those great little gotcha moments and campy moments where someone will be by the window and then jerry kind of floats by and i'm telling you both i don't know John, I don't know if you had a chance to see this in the, in the in the theater back in 1985, but when those happened, the the audience lost its banana collectively, and that kind of experience <laughs> in the cinema is way. It's why we go. It's why yeah, you yeah, want yeah, to see the, yeah, the yeah, absolutely. It was so great, but I do think I. I I feel like um, you know, most horror movies, if you can stick the landing, you get a real chance of becoming a classic. And I do yeah. feel like this movie, it does stick the landing. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of parts. There's a lot of moving parts there. But the ultimate demise of Jerry, I think, is pretty satisfying. But what about you guys? How do you feel? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I, I, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I, um, I think that staircase scene is pretty remarkable, especially considering the, the uh, and I don't know if this is just me probably bringing this to this, but considering the, the sort of psycho echo too, you know, and, and mm. knowing that Holland was involved in, in writing psycho too. Right. But you know, the staircase in the Bates house is so important. Right. And moving up and down that staircase is, is such yeah. an important thing. And of course there's that wonderful stained glass window too uh, behind, oh, which, you know, yeah. someone's got to crash through the stained glass window. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, but uh, that, that sort of moving up and down as, as a way to represent the character's fortunes, you know, now we're doing well, now we're not, not doing so well you know <laughs> um and i i think um 
I think, yeah, that the, the part of, I think that third act in particular, maybe, maybe into the second, but like that, that's where Roddy McDowell, I think is really the anchor for this, for this thing is, is I think, because although he is emboldened enough to say, I got to go, I got to go try to help. He's still terrified. And, and so, you know, we, um, we talk about, right. Courage is not being unafraid it's doing something even though you are afraid right so so he has to find actual actual courage in that uh, in that moment and uh, and yeah and and jerry's um you know jerry's demise as billy's demise you know it was quite spectacular um yeah. I, I was asking myself is is this the first time and it might be that we actually see a vampire go out that way um it usually yeah, because you know, you think about like um, like go all the way back to Bela Lugosi, right? And Van Helsing in in the in uh, Browning's Dracula, the camera moves and we hear the sound of the stake being hammered uh, with really just one blow, and then we hear Lugosi go, "Oh," and that's it. Um, and and most in in from what I can recall, anyway, in most vampire movies. All they'll do is when you stake the vampire, there's just they'll show that and there'll be blood coming out or or whatever. But but the 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 disappearance of the vampire, which also means that the the hero doesn't have to deal with all the questions, <laughs> you know, yeah. the unpleasant <laughs> questions of ah, exactly. it, you know um, that uh, it, it. But but that sort of spectacular end to the to the vampire. Um, is, and I like, I'm, I'm totally fine with evil Ed, um, um, you know, being around at the end that, that actually didn't, uh, that didn't bother me at all. That that's a lot of times no, those scenes that. you're like, Oh, come on. But that felt somehow that that feels like the little chef's kiss. Yeah. Instead yeah. of feeling like sequelitis, like they're setting it up. I did. I It was a perfect chef's kiss. So let's, let's just move. Oh, sorry, Shannon. You wanted to add? No, no, I, I was just saying I, I agree, and and I and I because I also think Evil Led's death was was interesting because I, first of all the makeup effects was off the charts, uh, especially for that time. Uh, his uh, you know tra- it was almost like that were- like a werewolf transition, if you will. Um, yeah. So I found it really interesting, and it gives you kind of the sense of maybe the stake um, is harmful, but it doesn't really complete the job. I, f- I found that interesting. Um, so maybe the sun is really what, um, you know, finalizes everything. I just found that interesting. Right. Yeah. Or does he pull, I care. Does he pull the stake out? He does. He and in the movie him, theater in 85, I was raising my hand in the movie theater saying, don't do that. Don't do right. that. So I don't know if that's, you know, you have to leave them staked or, or, or sun, sunlight, you know. Yeah, the vampire diaries, they did that. Like you have to leave it in, you can't take it out. And, um, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Actually, I forgot about that little detail. I love how every filmmaker has its own interpretation of what they – it's like the, the the vampire mythology is almost like a buffet and, and you can take what you want of it. So in this yeah. movie, we do follow a lot of the mythology, but Jerry Dandridge also eats. So I was like, hey, interesting. It was and the whole fruit just, thing. He's, always, he's yeah. eating fruit, right? Guy is getting I, his five servings in a yeah. day, I'm telling you. Yeah. So, when we were talking to, to Andy last week about Near Dark, you know, that was almost like the one thing that they kept was that they can only drink blood. If they drink, if they eat food, they get horribly ill. But everything else besides getting burned up by sunlight was out the window, you know? So I just love that. I love it when a filmmaker just put their own interpretation on it, um, and especially if, if it works. So 
so uh, now let's let's switch gears. Let's go to '87, and we'll talk about the Lost Lost Boys because we have um you know we've got Fright Night, which is in the suburban setting, and it's kind of like you know corruption comes to suburbia, and and you know Jerry trying to break apart you know the the good old fashioned high school romance and all you know all that. It's a little quaint. Yeah, yeah. Then you come to the Lost Boys, and they're moving into Santa Clara, and it's kind of like you know a surf town, murder capital of the murder, murder capital of the the U.S. I think it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's go there. <laughs> I mean, on the other hand, the real estate values are just they're they're really good. Yeah, yeah and your, your taxes are super low. Your taxes are super low. I was going to yeah. say it must be really. We got this couple. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But we have a completely different aesthetic and we have a completely different uh, setting, um, which I think works incredibly well for the movie also. But instead of having, um, you know, instead of having a real uh, buttoned up uh, seductive vampire, not to say that the that Kiefer Sutherland and that gang of vampires aren't seductive. I mean, they very much are young, sexy kids. And that's exactly what Joel Schumacher was going for. But it is more towards the um, like feral animal kind of of mystique because they're they're living in this dilapidated hotel that that, you know, uh, is now underground, literally underground since the uh, 06 earthquake um, they're almost like uh, they're almost like familiars for Max, the vampire father. So we have it's their similarities being horror comedies, but they are, they're different enough that they don't feel repetitive. So when we, when I saw uh, Fright Night in 85, I didn't feel like I was getting the same, you know, the same meal, so to speak in 87. Um, or let me just, I'll just do the hard yards for, for the Lost Boys. So, of course, it's directed by Joel Schumacher, who, uh, you know, uh, directed the classic DC cab, <laughs> St. Elmo's Fire. Um, he directed uh, Batman Forever, Flatliners, 8mm. You know, he's got he, he's got a, a, a lot of uh, – he's got a varied uh, directing career. You know, he's not just a, a genre director. You know, he's had his hand in a little bit of everything to some – you know, to certain degrees of, of success. But I think he's a really good, steady director. And he had the benefit of having um, Michael Chapman, who uh, was the cinematographer. So he had done uh, – he was the DP on The Last Detail and Taxi Driver, uh, The Last Waltz, Hardcore, Raging Bull, The Fugitive. So, I mean, he, Scorsese is using uh, Michael Chapman as well. And I think this film I, – I don't want to say that Fright Night looks flat, but we've already said that you know they're using the back <clears> lot and it, it almost has that sitcom you know appeal to – look to it and this movie is very different i mean the very first shot we're swooping in like they're using the camera in a lot of interesting ways in this film which i really did appreciate i mean it makes it very engaging i think and then joel schumacher he is just having you can tell he's having a blast with this that he that he's having he's got his crack at making a vampire movie and he's just putting everything into it that that he can and i think it's pretty successful i mean i certainly had a great time when i saw it in 87 and i had a great time when i rewatched it this week but john let me get your your opinion on it where do you fall on the lost boys oh i, I think it, it holds up actually i almost want to say surprisingly well you know because there was a great word to use yeah well because there were moments from it like saxophone guy um <laughs> that that have become you know memes or whatever right actually a friend of mine knows him that's what's even 
crazier, but apparently he's a lovely guy. But like, so like, like that's the sort of image you associate with it, right? Is is like saxophone guy on the <laughs> yeah. beach, you know, and uh, and all these people, you know, with Kiefer Sutherland with his mullet and all that kind of stuff. And hey, there's the guy from Bill and Ted, um, and it. Uh, and and it, it it really as as you're right, it's a very very different film from Fright Night. The sensibility is very different. Um, it's it's it moves much more quickly. Um, oh, yeah. And the and and you're right that the camera the camera work makes it feel as if it's moving more quickly. Sure, yeah. I think. Um, but um, um, and there's something, you know the the. Uh, there's something with Max and the Lost Boys. I'm sorry, folks, for spoiling this, but honestly, it was 1987. Come on, yeah, come on now. Um, but with Max and the <laughs> Lost Boys, it, it's it's almost yeah. <laughs> with Max and the Lost Boys, it's almost like Captain Hook is parenting the the Lost Boys. You know, if you if you yeah. will, the sort of absolutely, the, yeah. The the you know he's Max is always is always in these terrible period appropriate costumes. Right. Uh, and uh uh in the same way that Captain Hook is is always dressed up, you know, and and um he's uh he's almost trying to blend in by being awkward, you know, like, like oh he couldn't possibly be the king of the vampires. Look at this guy. Um, yeah, this guy's a dork, yeah. Yeah, and and you have these um, you have these terrific terrific performances, which are in some cases really campy. The Frog Brothers, you know, Um, and uh, um, but but uh, what's interesting to me, like uh, technique wise, right, is although this is as far as I know not a backlot movie, there were so many scenes that feel like sort of as if they could have been a sort of impressionistic scene scenes when um the uh, the lost boys are riding their motorcycles outside of, of various houses right and all we have are just these lights and the noise right or when they're uh, hanging off the the bridge right and they're all surrounded by by mist and fog right um and dropping off into it there were so many of these scenes that feel like staged in in that way as if they're taking place on the stage although presumably actually i think they weren't i'm 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 not sure about the lights outside the house, but I think the train trestle is an actual place. I think, I think you can the go. Trestle is a, an actual location. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that there's something, um, you know, within the Lost Boys uh, uh, lair, we see the big, the famous picture of, of Jim Morrison, you know, and there's the association of, of the Lost Boys, Peter Pan, Jim Morrison, you know, rock and roll never dies, you know, or, or the 27 Club, right? You know, all these people who, who, what is it, live fast, die young, leave an elegant corpse, right? Well, yeah. that's what all these guys have, have done. And so there's a way in which it engages is that part of the vampire mythology. I almost want to say, um, I feel like saying it Americanizes it. I, that, that may be a step too far um, because I, I haven't seen it. Like there could be a British vampire movie that did this as, as well. But, but I think it, you're it, onto it something strikes- there, though, John. I really am. I think you're onto something there. Well, I think like Jerry Dandridge is is all the artifacts he has. And we know, right, he must have been alive for a long time if he has all these artifacts. So that suggests that he's pre pre the United States, pre the European colonization of the United States. Whereas um, now, now Max could be super old, too. He probably is. But in terms of, of what we see of the Lost Boys and, and such, they feel like a much more recent thing, even if even if some of them have been around from 1906. Um, nonetheless. 
less they the way they present themselves, the, the images they're associated with. I mean, riding motorcycles, right? I, I mean, yeah. that's that's also it's as if they encode different kinds of of call it adolescent rebellion in themselves, right? Like, so you see the Jim Morrison poster, the doors, right? You see um, surfboards in that uh, in that place as well, right? So mm-hmm. surfer culture, um, they're riding motorcycles. So they're, 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 so they've got earrings, heaven help us. Um, yeah. They're wearing all kinds of bright <laughs> and weird clothes. So, so there's all kinds of <laughs> ways in which, yeah, the hair, the hair. Um, live forever, have great It was hair. a time. Um, yeah. <laughs> Right. Great hair, you say? Um, so I, I think that um, um, I think that all of that, um, even the way they run together as a pack, it's interesting because you were asking earlier about, you know, sexy vampire versus like murder vampire, you know, or or, or and the the Lost Boys kind of wind between the middle of them because there's no doubt that, that Kiefer Sutherland and his, his buddies are presented as attractive. And certainly Jason Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland are, you know, uh, there's something going on between them. But then there's also it gets sort of sublimated into the relationship with Sky, right, where where Jason mm-hmm. Patrick wins her away from from Kiefer Sutherland. So uh, right. but they run as a pack. Right. They, they run as if they're as if they're pack animals. And when you kill one of the pack, as as they succeed in doing, the rest are going to come for you. That's just, you know, there, there's yeah. uh, uh, there's no doubt of of that. I do. I, I, the Max's plan, though, of, of creating like the extended vampire family it's not a bad plan, you know? I mean, he's very much, uh, you know, he's trying to, he's having uh, Star and David try and, and uh, get Michael. Uh, you know, no one really, no one really thinks about Sam. Poor Sam in this movie, who, Corey Haim, I think this is probably his best performance. He's so damn funny in this movie. He yeah. gets the best lines and he delivers them perfectly, you know? But I mean, trying to concoct this extended vampire family on paper, it looks great, you know, but (laughs) yeah, there was, there was something I I was thinking about, like with that aspect of it and, and thinking about it in, in contrast to, to Fright Night, you know, where the, the vampire in, in Fright Night is in a sense, a more traditional vampire in that um, he just wants to eat you. Um, and he's going to threaten your girlfriend. Uh, I mean, that's very Dracula, right? First you go after Lucy, then you go after Mina. And so Jerry going after Amy fits <clears throat> with that. But along the way, he's he's quite willing to kill anybody else. He, Jerry has his kind of family or, or whatever you want to call it set up with, uh, with Billy in the same way that Dracula does with Renfield uh, or, or would with Renfield. Whereas in, in, uh, in the Lost Boys, there is this weird family thing going on where Diane Weist is, is fleeing a divorce that's left her just completely bankrupt. And, and she's returned home to her weird dad. And, um, and and what's you know what Max ultimately wants is he just wants to make a family. He just can't vampires yeah. have families too? Again, I find myself in my, in in my later years siding with the vampires in these two movies. Why can't they think just of the let tax Max breaks? Yeah. Yeah, think exactly. of the tax. Think of the deductions. Yeah. <laughs> these boys need a mother, you know, blended family. Yeah, but to your point. Um, 
<laughs> to your point, uh, John, that um, that Max may be pretty old at this point, which uh, I think that also gives a sense that he is, too, because where she's uh, like you said, she's um, fleeing from a divorce. He just might be um, he probably got to a point, at least I think uh, uh, I see it this way anyway, that um, he probably just existed for so long at this point. And now he just, he wants a connection. He wants a little more, um, maybe a little bit memories from when back when he was human. And maybe that's why he started, you know, like he found it's possible. Like uh, these group of boys were already, you know, a, their own little pack and a bunch of uh, mischievous um, individuals. And he started off with them um for whatever reason and you know is trying to look for um a, lo- a lost love as well um so that, i don't know that's i didn't really think of that until you guys mentioned that um yeah there's there's but, something there's a really interesting i i feel like and, and that's part of what also makes the movie so interesting right is yeah. is the way that it introduces the family dynamic into yeah. into things um it's the it's the 80s and so we're starting to see i, I think more the, the the normalization of um the non-traditional family uh whether it's just the the mom and kids the dad and kids an uncle or aunt and kids a grandparent and kids like that's become like hey that's just what happens sometimes right dad is never at all no one ever says in this movie we should call dad dad is out of the picture um and they're yeah. they're happy to be to be rid of him um and, and even grandpa is not yeah, absolutely. It does that, 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 you know, you're in danger from vampires and you're like, oh, I can't call dad. Um, so I, I think that there's something about the, the way that the, and, and, and I think it's a, it's, it's a really interesting point to, to think about, you know, kind of Max's psychology, because in a lot of ways he's very pleasant, you know, he's, he's very, and okay, maybe that's all an act, you know, but, but, um, Jerry's act is always in, in Fright Night, right? There's always this kind of sinister undercurrent to it, right? Mm. There's always like, like he always knows he's a vampire and this is an act. And almost it feels like part of the fun is what can I get you guys to go along with? Whereas yeah. Max seems a very, um, he's just a geeky kind of guy. And the fact that he's wearing these clothes that are just ridiculous, even at the time, his clothes were ridiculous, yeah. I think. And, and, but that's part of his camouflage, right? I'm just some geeky guy, you know? Um, it, it is interesting that when, um, when he's over, when, when he, when the mom brings him over for dinner, you know, he says, Oh, are there, you know, isn't it, aren't you not supposed to see the meal before you eat it? You know? And she's like, no, no, that's a wedding, right? You're not supposed to see the bride, but, and, and that, those lines, it seems to me, they, they cut a few different ways, right? On the one hand, it's, it, you're not supposed to see the bride, right? So that's what he wants is to make her his bride, but his sort of dark, evil, satanic bride. So of course, those, that tradition would not attain. But then also, she's a meal potentially yeah. you know you're not supposed to see the meal before you yeah. eat. Oh, you know so so that, that he's, he's right exactly if she says no he's like well i'm sorry honey you know but you were delicious i do maybe max is is maybe max is the most successful vampire of all the vampires because his camouflage is so great because he's just a nebbish nobody yeah yeah he runs an electronic store he runs like radio shack or whatever it is you know (laughs) he draws power from your frustration at having to wait you know i I was surprised when i first saw the film yeah i was like holy shit he's 
<laughs> but yeah, I was I was surprised when I first saw this film. Um, I never saw Max as the um, as a vampire at all, so I thought that was a really interesting twist um, at the time. Oh yeah, I did you? I I actually suspected the grandpa at one point. I, I was I like, really. you know. Yeah, I was like, oh, the grandpa does all the taxidermy. And but I think that's, you know, it's a deliberate red herring, right? They're they're trying as if there's any other kind, but but they're trying to point you in grandpa's direction. So you'll be like, oh, taxidermy. That does seem like something a vampire would do. And then it turns Mm -hmm. out, no, he's he's uh, he and and Michael together uh, helped to get rid of of Max. But he did know about vampires. <laughs> yeah, that would have been helpful information never, from the beginning. He never says, listen, listen, are you moving here? That's great. You know, don't mess with my grape soda and there's vampires. Like, he never says that, right? It's- <laughs> my immediate next question would have been, and what about werewolves? Like, you're withholding information. Anything more? Right, that right. We- werewolves, zombies, any, anything else? Anything? You know, it, it's... Uh, yeah, grandpa's grandpa's interesting. But, uh... So this movie comes out in '87, and then we have two months later. This came out during the summer, and and it was just it was just everywhere because the soundtrack was incredibly successful. Oh, yeah, so it's heard... a terrific soundtrack. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You just heard it everywhere. So this this movie's a powerhouse. It's a huge, huge smash. And then in the fall of that year, we get Near Dark comes out, and it made zero impact because all the oxygen was sucked out of the room. You know, there was no blood left in the corpse. Ha ha ha. See what I did. But it, it was just, um, there was no room left, but near dark and, and, and you guys, please feel free to disagree with me, but near dark, I feel is, is a vastly superior movie to these two although i love all three but i just feel like near near dark is almost like is this a documentary is i mean is this what actual vampires would would be like and i still feel like that to this day on a rewatch this week you know before we we recorded with andy i watched it and i'm like this this film doesn't feel like it's could possibly be the same year as uh lost boys they're so incredibly different but they were. I mean, they both came out in 87. Yeah. 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 I, I'd have to think about that, I guess. I mean, I, I think that, that one of the things that one of the, the great virtues of, of near dark um, is, is the over the top performances by, by everybody, you know, everybody just buys into these performances, Bill yeah. Paxton, maybe most famously. Right. Yeah. Um, but they, they just inhabit these characters so fully and so outrageously um, that, uh, that it's hard not to be kind of bowled over by them. Right. And, and hard not yeah. to feel like, Oh man. Um, and it's so I, great. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a kind of grittiness to it, um, whereas the Lost Boys is definitely influenced by MTV. You know, this is this yeah. is the yeah. uh, this is an MTV movie, and um, and Fright Night is a, is a more more traditional horror movie. Um, but I um, I don't know. I, I I'm not sure. Even though, even though I love Near Dark, um, perhaps it's because I haven't seen it recently. Thank you, streaming services. Um, <laughs> It's. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I would give Near Dark the the uh, the edge. I'd, I'd I'd rather have all three together. I love. There's them room all. for all of them. You're right. There's room for You're all right. of them at the horror table. They're all completely they can all different. Have. You know, like I, 
when you really put him down, like even though the core um, connection is, uh, you know, the vampire lore, it's they tell them all, um, all very, very different. And all three were are so fascinating, you know, so it's like they I, to me, they're all streamlined on one platform, honestly that um the interesting yeah. do you think too that like what's interesting the interesting comparison between near dark and the lost boys is they're all about these groups and who's going to be part of the groups yeah right the, yeah. The, yeah. the the in in near dark there's the kind of vampire you know family as it were um and and is i can't remember the guy's name but is he going to be part of the family or or isn't he and then something similar is is going on in in the lost boys right is michael yeah, going to become actually, part yeah, of the family or not absolutely. sure mm-hmm. yeah and they're they're different like socio socioeconomic uh strata you know like like i think part of the reason near dark is so appealing is because as you said uh sean it's, it's so gritty right it feels like like if there were real vampires this is what this is what it would be like you know right, that yeah. they would just be in a, a van somewhere a van down by the river <laughs> and um Oh, is it, no, please finish your thought, John. Sorry. No, no, just that. The, the, and, and I think that that grittiness helps to that, that almost like sort of faux documentary style um, helps to really to, to really sell the that movie in a, in a particular way. Whereas The Lost Boys is is very slick and it's it's deliberately yeah. slick. It's very glamorous. Highly it, produced. It, sure. Yeah. It's, it's like yeah. It, in, in, and I guess that goes along with The Lost Boys thing. Right. Like like you can live forever, you know, but you must feed, you know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I, I have to ask the two of you because at this moment in time, so 2024, we had Last Voyage of, the, of De- Demeter. Oh, by the way, John, I owe you thanks. I'm listening to you and Eric on Cradle to the Grave, and you were you were talking about Life Force, by the way. Ah, yes, Life Force. My damn ribs hurt from laughing when the two of you were trying to tell your spouses i'm doing research <laughs> about, right right yeah. I'm, honestly honey this is research these boobs are research i, I swear yeah. to you but you i had an aha moment when you you figured out that the damn movie is a reinterpretation of dracula and of course that the shuttle has to go back to to england it never dawned on me that it was the demeter and it was the yeah, story yeah, yeah. of dracula well, I have to be honest with you. Yeah, the, the first time I saw the movie, I I did not clue in on that in the slightest, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" And then um, this most recent time, like I was like, "Oh, of course, it's it's okay." That's you know, and I do actually think I still think you know they they give you a little bit of a flashback at the end to what happened inside the shuttle, but I actually hmm. think that's your movie uh, in yeah. the same way that they made the film The Last Voyage of the of the Demeter. I think you could make a, a, a really interesting film about a sort of doomed spacecraft, which I mean maybe they already did with Alien, um, but I I think if you if you imagine that the the monster that's coming back is also you know conscious in a way that the alien does not seem to be in the alien movies, then you could have a really interesting film. I agree, agree a hundred percent. So I just want to pose the question to the two of you. So for twenty twenty four, it seems like we're at a little bit of a lull in vampire movies. Uh, the New Salem's Lot keeps getting pushed back. Might not be the best sign, but I am eagerly anticipating it but it just seems like yeah we're in a little bit of a quiet period right now well, we got, um, we i'm got, waiting um, for that we got abigail coming oh, which one shannon uh abigail we do have abigail coming oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. we do have abigail fun. coming it looks fun yeah 
It looks so, it, it looks fun in the same way the Fright Night looks oh, looks fun. I don't think like and Nosferatu. <laughs> oh yeah, Eggers, boy, you're right. Nosferatu, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That is the one. Yeah. You know, all right, yeah. way way to embarrass me in front of our guest Shannon. All right, <laughs> I forgot about no, that. No, Sean, one. you've you've embarrassed yourself, and soon Robert Eggers will be at your door. <laughs> Wait, can we trace it back to the moment I told you my embarrassing family history with Frank? He'll be Jello? Robert Eggers will be at the door, and he'll have whatever scars guard that is with him, because the scars guard they're they're a scary brood, man. I'm five seven and a half on a good day, so whichever one shows up, I'm going to be doing this. Yeah, it's a, yeah. They don't even. There's just like a ranch with them. They don't even know the difference. They just pull pull one out for the latest movie. I mean, these Scandinavian handsome men—they just keep showing up, you know. Damn them! I would let Shannon introduce our three questions. Do you want to start off the first one, Shannon? The I don't have the written down. So. Okay, I'll tell. Right. <laughs> you didn't know there was going to be a pop quiz. Okay, John. So these are our three questions. Uh, the first two are pretty straightforward. The last one is turning out to be very problematic, but we're still going to do it. Okay. So the the first one would be, uh, what is your most frightening? horror experience it doesn't necessarily have to be the film but just any experience the watch the walk to the parking lot whatever it might be what's terrified you the most um so i'll pick uh, so cinematically there was a movie um which i've never finished and it was called something like the abandoned uh and it's about a um a woman i want to say and she she was adopted from uh i think from russia and she goes, she tries to go back to to find out what happened. And um, holy cow, did that, for whatever reason, the first like 15, 20, I was probably, I was watching it late at night, which didn't help. But the first 15 minutes of that, I was so freaked out. I was like, nope, nope. And I was like, I'll get to this in the daytime. Um, and that day has not come as of, uh, as of yet. Um, and um, there was a time early on in our marriage when I woke up and I was still mostly asleep and I saw a little girl sitting on the edge of my bed oh. with, her, with her back to me, just in sort of silhouette. And I was as frightened as I have ever been. And I was so frightened I had to reach out and touch her. And when I did that, it turned out to be my wife's knee. So oh. she was like sleeping with her knee up and I was just like, ah. so oh my God. for that moment, yeah. for that moment, that was, yeah, that was frightening. Wow. Goosebumps. Yeah. Legitimate goosebumps. I got the chills. Ooh. Oh my goodness. Oof. Okay. This this next one, uh in the horror lexicon, what is your favorite subgenre of horror? I think it probably has to be the vampire, to be honest with you. Um I, I think there were so many, so many different takes on the vampire. Um I uh, I love werewolves too, but I just don't think there have been as many great, you know, uh, just well. numerically, right? There, well. There's just not uh, not as many. I mean, um, there, um, and and I think that that the vampire just seems to me endlessly uh, adaptable, 
you know, that, that you can just take a little bit here, take a little bit there. Um, you know, you, you have something that ranges from, for, we mentioned Romero's Martin before, right? So here's a film that is almost sort of documentary style, which is just, maybe this guy's just crazy. Maybe he just, you know, maybe he just thinks that, that he's a vampire, although he claims yeah. he's a hundred years old. Um, yeah. and, and then it can range from that to, to the kind of insane over the topness of Coppola's Dracula or, or, I think Fright Night for for that matter. So I uh, I love that. I, I love the fact that that is. Uh, um, I love the mutability, the the possibility of that uh, of that form. Same, same. Okay, the the third one, third question we have. If you could remake any horror film, what would it be? And if you want to, if you want to expand on that, it could be who would you want to direct it? Could be Living or Dead, and who would star Living or Dead? We're having problems with this one because the answer we're getting back is I don't think I'd want to remake anything. I like the original, but if there is one that you would like to see remade, what would it be? Um, I I think you know Fright Night, of course, was remade with uh, with with Colin Farrell as mm-hmm. uh, as a terrific vampire. I, I, I don't think him. the rest of the movie is a little a little wobbly, but. Um, I would, um, the, the, okay. So the, there was a movie called, um, a dark song, which is a brilliant film, oh, and, yes. uh, a terrific film about this, this woman who, who sequesters herself in an, like a sort of English country house with a guy claiming to be a magician. And mm-hmm. she wants him, uh, to help her, uh, to, to summon an angel. Um, because she she's looking for uh, vengeance on these guys who murdered her son, and I, I think it's a fine movie as it is. But but part of me thought, you know, what would happen if you if you remade this movie in an American setting, and you made um, the woman um, an African American mother whose son has been killed by the police. And she has this guy with her and she wants, she wants revenge. She wants, she wants payback. I I thought that that would, um, that would be a, a, you know, like like a different take on that same and uh, that, that same trope, but with a kind of added um, sharpness maybe uh, uh, for the, for the current moment. Oh, I really like that. I think that would be a phenomenal That sounds really interesting. I just, I just actually wrote both. I wrote both of them. I'm down. I want to watch the abandoned and the dark song. I never, I've never seen them. Yeah, at some point I should watch the abandoned because I'm sure if I could get like 20 minutes in, I would be like, oh, this isn't so scary after all. You know, like like most horror movies for me, it's the buildup that gets me. And then when it, when the monster, as Stephen King said, the monster shows up and you scream, but part of that scream is relief, like, oh, thank God, it's only it's only that. It's not whatever I was afraid it was going to be. It's well. It's, to your point, it's usually um, sorry. It's usually um, it's usually not during. Um, you know, to your point, John. It's usually not during. It's it's afterwards. It's yeah, like okay. Like now I'm by myself. Now I turn the lights off. Now I'm going to go to bed where it's the quiet right. and the shadows are just going to play tricks with me. And and yeah. Now I'm the scared. first time my my wife and I watched. Uh, the uh, the Blair Witch Project. We were living in a little oh. house in the woods, um, and we watched it in the winter. So the night came really early, and by the time we got done with that movie, the morning was a long, long, long way away. Oh, yeah. And uh, my wife told me she she was an early riser. She told me that she really contemplated tying up a little bundle of sticks and laying it on the front the front walk for me, but uh, she did not do that, and I am eternally grateful for that. <laughs> it sounds like you had a great wife. 
Yeah, yeah, sure I do. Yeah. <laughs> I have to ask you though, just because we're talking about a dark song and 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 truly terrifying movies. Have you seen uh, Demi and Rugna's um, "When Evil Lurks" yet? No, no, I haven't. I haven't. And I, I've seen uh, Terrified. I've, I've seen his, his first oh, movie, I which I, I really, really liked a lot. Oh, and, I love um, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Paul Tremblay had had watched Terrified at like, like a few years ago, like maybe the Telluride Film Festival, something like that. And for years, he was like, you have to watch this movie. So I finally got around to it. And I was like, holy cow, this is great. And so, yeah, When Evil Lurks is, is on my uh, on my short list. Yeah, it's well worth a watch. Yes. Funny thing is, we have Paul Tremley in a couple of months. He's going to uh, come on and he's going to talk about 1950s them with us. So we're going to talk giant nice, ants. Nice, yeah, right? nice, giant ants. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. That'll do it, John. We're, we're so thankful for you coming on today. But I want to thank you give so you much an- for having me. This has been a, a great discussion. Yeah. But let's let, let's leave it open now to I, I would love to hear about any future projects you have coming up. What's on the horizon? Oh, um, I've given up writing. No, um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, this, is, this is my retirement. Um, <laughs> I, um, I've got, uh, um, I've got a part of a novel that my agent is shopping around. Um, and, uh, um, I'm hopeful, you know, within a few months we'll hear back from somebody and, um, I'm in the process of putting together um, my next collection. I, I, after Corpse Mouth, I, I was going to, I figured that would be enough. You know, I have enough stuff for about like another three collections, but I felt like, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure everybody's like sort of satisfied at this point. But um, oh. a, a few people have emailed me and are like, dude, when's your next collection coming out? And I've been like, really? Do so, it. Um, it. so yeah, so, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to figure out what that would look like. And, you know, I like to, I like to include an original story with each collection um, because I had this fantasy that there's this John Langan completist out there and, and he or she will not buy the book without a new story in it, you know? <laughs> so, um, so that's the challenge at the moment is to, is to figure out like, like what would the new story be, be about? Um, and um, so, yeah, that would, I mean, I mean, my guess would be, um, 2025 would, would probably be if I, if I could figure out a story and sell the collection, 2025 okay. would, would be when that would appear. And then, um, if the novel sells, that's probably 2026 would be my, would be my guess. I have, I have stories in different, uh, you know, Ellen Datlow's new, um, Christmas and other horrors. Um, I have a story in, in that and, um, um, I'll have a story in the Neutral Milk Hotel uh, inspired uh, anthology. Oh, so, um, and and other sort of like like smaller things here and here and there. So, yeah, I'm trying to. I have a day job, unfortunately, so um, that uh, that tends yeah. to get in the way of the writing. Same. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. We'll let you go in a moment, but I did want to say this because um, I, I think the highest praise I can give you, reading your work. I, 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 I just absolutely love The Fisherman. I love all your work. You. But the, the highest you. praise that I can give you is you happen to be one of, of these authors that other authors are always recommending. I noticed no. this about 
It's tr- John, it's true. I've noticed this for the past few years. You know, you, you're, you're combing the internet and you're looking for recommendations. I mean, Sadie Hartman, Mother Horror, and 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 Emily Hughes, who does Rejump Scares. You know, I, 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 I start to comb through. Oh, I'm jonesing. I need, you know, what's everybody recommending? And your name comes up so much. I mean, well, you're, thank you. thank you're you. beloved within the community. So look, I did, you know, I, I, I just wanted to say that, that, that you just have the highest respect. And if you're the kind of author that other authors recommend, I, I feel like that's the highest praise and that's you. Thank you. Thank you. It is, it is indeed. And I'm, I'm very, yeah, yeah I'm very lucky. I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm, I'm surrounded by, and I'm friends with, astonishingly talented people um tremblay uh, uh laird Barron, stephen graham jones olivia llewellyn nadia bulkin gemma files i mean there's there's such an amazing group of horror writers of my approximate generation you know kind of 50s or or thereabouts and there is an equally amazing uh, series of, of newer writers coming up, you know, people like Clay McLeod Chapman and, and Rachel Harrison, um, who are just doing astonishing, astonishing work, Eric LaRocca. And um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's Sadie Hartman has done with her, her book, 101 Horror Books to Read Before You're Murdered. She's done a great service and at least providing a, a somewhat of a roadmap, you know, just, just to We're say, having her on. Yeah. 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 No, it just what, what, yeah. here's some of what you can read. It's not everything, but it's, it's some of it. Yeah. You summed yeah. it up. It's a perfect roadmap. Anyone who, who wants to cut their teeth and get into horror, um, this is a perfect place to start because you're going to find some incredible, incredible, maybe off the beaten path stuff that, that, you know, it's, it's outside of the Stephen Kings, you know, which yeah. are fantastic as well. But we're so thrilled to have you on. I would love Thank you so to much. have you back. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, John. That's a cut. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.